Welcome to the Get Healthier Podcast with Rena Jadhav, who's on a quest to uncover breakthroughs and cures in living longer, healthier, and happier. Genetic testing, stem cells, rattling, talking to Silicon Valley geniuses and the best doctors in the world about the hottest products and programs to make you live an amazingly joyful life. Are you ready? Now, here's your host, Rena. Hi, everyone. Today's superstar guest needs no introduction. He is a 10-time number one New York Times bestselling author. He's internationally recognized as a leader, a speaker, an educator. Of course, I call him a healthcare transformer. He is the director of the Cleveland Clinic uh, Center for Functional Medicine. He's a founder and medical director of the Ultra Wellness Center. He's a chairman of the board of the Institute for Functional Medicine the medical editor for the Huffington Post. And of course, you probably have seen his handsome face on a television show, including CBS This Morning, The Today Show, Good Morning America, CNN, The View, Katie, and The Dr. Oz Show. You know, what inspires me about this amazing healthcare reformer is that he believes we all deserve a life of vitality, that we have the potential to create it for ourselves. And he has dedicated his entire life to tackling the root cause of chronic illness. I am talking about Dr. Mark Hyman. Super excited to have Dr. Mark here with us today. Dr. Mark, welcome. The biggest question I get over and over again is, I am so confused. I read Dr. Gundry's book and it says this, and I read Dr. Furman's book and it said that, and I you know, heard something on a podcast from Dr. Mark Hyman and there's Dr. Joel Kahn. While there is agreement at some level, there's also some disagreement. So there's a lot of confusion out there on what the heck to follow. What do you suggest? It's it's true. It's true. You know, I I think this is the biggest question I, I see from people is, you know, what the heck should I eat? And that's really why I wrote my new book called Food, What the Heck Should I Eat? Because I really wanted to address this question. And I think there's a lot of reasons we're confused. Uh, one is that nutrition science is a very challenging field because it's not easy to study. You know, the best way to do a study on a particular diet is to put you know, 10,000 people on that diet, lock them up in a hotel for 20 years, mm-hmm. make sure they don't eat anything else. Another group, lock them up and make sure they only eat another diet that's whatever the uh, control diet is, and then see what happens. That study is never going to happen. Um, so we have to go by other types of research, which is not as reliable. We call it observational research or population research. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to draw conclusions from that. You can't prove cause and effect. There are other studies that are smaller studies that are randomized controlled trials. There are basic science studies. We have to put together all the information with common sense and see what, what makes sense, right? So I think this is really the problem with nutrition science. Um, the second thing is, you know, people have their own perspectives, right? And they get very attached to them. If you're a low-fat vegan and it, it becomes a religion, then it's not a science anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it becomes a belief. And I think that's challenging, whether it's, you know, people who think you should eat paleo or vegan, you know, if you listen to each or of them. Or keto they, now. Mm-hmm. Right. They believe that if you, if you eat this way, you're going to live long. If you eat the other way, you're going to die. And they can't both be right. <laughs> Right? <laughs> so, no. so the question is, what you know? What do we know? And so, in 2018, I, I I went through all the research, 
tried to make sense of it, looked at all the controversies. And I came up with, you know, what is just basically a common sense approach to eating that reflects the science, reflects evolutionary biology, and helps us get sorted. And the problem, you know, with confusion is not just because different people have different opinions or nutrition science is hard. It's also because, you know, we have a very corrupt food system that drives policies and drives recommendations that are not based on science, but based on private profit. So for example, you know, science has been corrupted by food industry, which funds a lot of the research. Coca-Cola funds a study on obesity. They're going to find that soda plays no role. If the dairy council funds a study on milk, they're going to find milk is the next best thing to, you know, to God. And I think, you know, this is, this is shown over and over and over again. You look at artificial sweetener studies. The studies that are funded by the food industry show they're not a problem. 99% of the studies done independently show they're a problem. So uh, that's the other issue. And then that becomes government policy. And the government is funded by lobbyists in many cases that drive policy, that drive recommendations from our food labeling to our dietary guidelines to our agricultural policies that subsidize commodity products that cause people to be sick and fat. So we have a very corrupt system combined with challenging science, combined with a lot of egos and emotions about what is the right diet, and, and all the truth in the middle gets lost. And the consumers sort of buffeted about not knowing what to eat. Should you eat eggs? Are they going to kill you? Or should you eat right. you know, whole grains only because they're healthy? You know, What is the truth? So I went through each area in the in, in the foods that we eat, not as ingredients, but as foods. What, what about meat? What about poultry and eggs? What about fish? What about uh, dairy? What about vegetables, fruit, nuts, seeds, beans, grains, drinks? Like what should we be doing in each category to pick the, the best food that's the highest quality that's going to create the most health? And that's what I think people want to know. And it's sort of like a very practical cheat sheet on what to do. And, uh, and I, I think I, I'm really happy with the book because I think I, I achieved that. And I, I go through, you know, each, each um, category and I go, what, what um, the questions are that we often get wrong. So I, I do a nutrition IQ quiz. I go through, you know, what, is the, what are the things we know? What do we don't know? What are the six or ten things you need to know about a particular food area like fats, for example, right. and, and dairy and, and why we're in trouble? And it's very and it, it's very um, – you know, it's very well researched. There's over 500 references, um, and it's really comprehensive, um, but it's also very readable. How did you personalize it? Because one of the things I learned myself is that one size does not fit all, right? So avocados mm-hmm. are great unless you react to them. And so how yeah. have you written the book such that it's personalized, especially when you say you have a cheat sheet? How do I apply that to myself? Absolutely. That's a great question. So functional medicine, which is what I practice, is personalized medicine. And it's really about how do you find the right approach for you to create health? And it's different for everybody. And there are some people, for example, that are very insulin resistant. And about 70% of the population is overweight, and many of them, most of them probably, are insulin resistant. So this is a disease of carbohydrate intolerance. Mm-hmm. Other people you know, may need more carbohydrates in their diet. Some people have autoimmune inflammatory issues and they need to be on different diets. People have digestive issues, they need to be on different diets. So I do talk about that in the book and how, you know, in certain cases, you know, whole grains can be great, but not if you have XYZ condition or, you know, certain people don't do as well on high fat diets and they may need to customize it based on various risks and things they have. So I think the whole idea of 
the approach is to come up with what is works for most people, and then how do you customize it based on what's going on for you? Let's talk about the biggest epidemic we're facing today, which is obesity, right? We've got um, a fat nation, uh, to be blunt, and to some extent, we know that food is the answer, making right choices, finding the foods that work for you versus the foods that everyone's telling you to eat. One of the things that has recently become a fad, of course, is the keto diet, because the keto diet can help you lose weight. And of course, it is a manipulation of the kinds of foods you eat, which tends to be exactly what you're saying, you know, get off the carbs. For pretty much anybody, I mean, you know, keto is not personalized as, as such. It just says, if you want to follow a keto diet, kind of here's the menu plan, and it's predominantly um, protein and fat heavy. So as someone who's reading your book and is overweight and has decided that, you know what, 2018 is the year I am going to lose that weight, gosh darn it. How will your book help? Well, the whole issue of why we're fat is a really important one. And I think for most of the history of advice in this country, we've focused on how much we're eating. Mm -hmm. We're eating too much. We're not exercising. Uh, eat less, exercise more is the solution. It's all calories in, calories out. All calories are the same. You know, 1,800 calories of soda is the same as 1,800 calories of broccoli or almonds. And I've asked the chairman of, vice chairman of Pepsi that question. He's like, yeah, they're the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's their, that's their mantra, which actually has been taken up by the government in our dietary guidelines. It's taken up by nutritionists, by doctors, mm-hmm. by all the major public health organizations and uh, professional associations like the American Nutrition Dietetic Association, the American Medical Association, the American Diabetic Association, the American Heart Association. And the truth is that the science is so clear that all calories are not equal. And if you asked a five-year-old or a thousand calories of broccoli, the same as a thousand calories of soda, they're going to go, no. Exactly. <laughs> it's common sense, but we right. don't but, seem to be using it anymore. But, but, but based on our guidelines, that's what we tell people. So we focus on how much we eat, not what we eat. And what turns out is the quality of the food we eat matters far more than the quantity. And that you can eat the same calories, for example, and this has been studied by, for example, David Ludwig at Harvard, where he's looked at same calories in the same people switching out different diets over different time periods. It's a crossover study, randomized control, crossover study, very powerful study design. So you're basically testing different diets in the same people to see what happens to their metabolism. And what they found was that when they fed people 60% carbs, 10% fat, so a low-fat low diet, a low-fat vegan diet, compared to a high-fat diet, which was 60% fat, 10% carbs, versus 10% fat, 60% carbs, the group that had the high-fat diet their metabolism changed. They, they actually burn 300 calories more a day. It's like wow. exercising an hour a day without getting off the couch and all their numbers got better. So their cholesterol got better, their inflammation got better, their blood sugar got better, their insulin got better, even though they're eating exactly the same calories. And I think there's m- much data that shows this. There was a, a recent study published, I think yesterday, looking at a low-calorie, fat-restricted diet Comparing to an unrestricted, not low-calorie, high-fat diet for weight loss. And the results show that the high-fat, unrestricted calorie diet caused more weight loss over a year than the calorie-restricted, low-fat diet. Mm-hmm. And I think 
this is a shock to many people. Mm-hmm. It is. <laughs> it's a reversal of what we've been taught and brainwashed yeah. with. Right, because fat has more calories than carbs and protein. You want to mm-hmm. have less calories, so you eat less fat. Turns out that sugar and starch calories are driving insulin in the body, which mm-hmm. does a number of things. It makes you hungry. It stores fat in your fat cells. It locks the fat in there so it can't get out, and it slows your metabolism. All the opposite of what you want to happen when you are trying to lose weight. Uh, and it's why we were told to eat six to 11 servings of bread, rice, soy, and pasta by the <laughs> government in the food pyramid in 1992. And then we see a hockey stick from 1980 when we got these guidelines to eat more carbs and less fat to now where we see enormous rates of obesity. We're seeing higher rates of obesity. 70% are overweight now. 40% almost have uh, obesity. It's, it's really scary. And children are affected. And so I think, I think you know, this problem is really solvable. Um, there, there, there are now... Uh, researchers looking at um, ketogenic diets for type 2 diabetes. There was mm-hmm. a guy who was a, a, an elite athlete. And there's two of these guys now. Peter Atia, who's really a brilliant scientist and doctor, ha- was an elite athlete who would swim from L.A. to Catalina Island. And he was in great shape, but he noticed he was overweight and he, and he uh, was tested and he was pre-diabetic because he was having all these goos and carb loading to get through his exercise. Another guy did the same thing, a billionaire guy who sold his company and decided he was going to row his boat from California to Hawaii. Hmm. Extremely fit guys. Turned out he was pre-diabetic for the same reason. And then he did some research and found all this data on using higher fat diets, ketogenic diets, and he created a company called Verda, which now is reversing 97% of diabetes and getting Mm -hmm. people off insulin. Mm-hmm. This is unheard of. There's, there's not, this is not even possible in, in, you know, in conventional medicine. So using food is a much more powerful drug and understanding how to use it effectively is really the role of functional medicine and, and really what I talk about in the book, Food, What the Heck Should I Eat? Because I want people to understand how to actually use food as a drug and as medicine, particularly in terms of metabolism and weight loss. This is not difficult. And, and there, the majority of, you know, People do not need to go on a ketogenic diet, but if you're in, in, in there are quote hacks like intermittent fasting and time restricted right. eating that allow you to have a lot of the same effects as, as, as a ketogenic diet, which mimics fasting. So it's like a fasting mimicking diet. They also prolong longevity and so forth. So I think there's still a whole cadre of people who believe that fat is the enemy, that we should be eating a low fat diet, that fat causes heart disease, but the evidence just, is just not there. Um, and I think, you know, even the Dietary Guidelines Committee, which is very conservative in 2015, removed any restriction on dietary fat and also removed any restriction on uh, dietary cholesterol, saying yeah. it's not a nutrient of concern anymore. So, you you know, I feel like your book ha- does a lot of myth busting. And as I call, mm-hmm. you know, th- there's a truth bomb there. You have a completely different perspective on cholesterol, dietary cholesterol. And, you know, what's interesting is all these studies come out and guidelines come out. And, you know, for the common person, we never get to see this or hear this or really internalize it or implement it. I think it just stays at that level of, of the profession, of course, and then, of course, the bureaucrats. So I like the fact that in your book, you're bringing some relevant truths to the common person so we can catch up, too, with all the new research. Tell us a little, tell our listeners a little bit about the cholesterol truth bomb. Well, I think, you know, we, we were told that it, you know, that cholesterol is bad. Uh, the cholesterol mm-hmm. causes heart disease. And, and you know, we, 
it's just so stunning when you look at the history of this, which I record in my book, Eat Fat, Get Thin, in which I actually um, talk about in food, what things should I eat? And in the, in the 50s, you know, everybody was searching for what's the cause of heart disease. And so this, this idea came up that it might be what we're eating. And so Dr. Ansel Keys decided to do a study, he was from Minnesota, on six countries in Europe and look at their dietary patterns and see if we could find a correlation. He found a correlation between fat and heart disease and also um, uh, saturated fat particularly. And then, and then he went um, later to do the seven country study and to confirm the same thing. There was data on 22 countries and he ignored the other countries, <laughs> the other 15 mm. countries, uh, like France, for example, which ate a diet rich in cream and butter and high fat and had far less heart disease than almost any other country. So, it kind of contradicted the results. And it's an observational study, so there's no way it can prove cause and effect. And then in, in the late 1960s, early 70s, he did a study with a colleague, um, which was part of this huge NIH set of trials on heart disease. And it did a study which could never be replicated today that um, was 9,000 mental, um, mental patients uh, in, a, in, a, in a mental institution that were randomized to either eating high saturated fat diet or high vegetable oil diet. So they swapped, took out very low saturated fat and see what happened. And now this study um, wasn't ethical. You can't lock people up and give them different diets without consent. And this is what they did back then. <laughs> but we, the data was buried for 40 years because it contradicted what they believed and they didn't, they didn't believe the study was accurate. Mm. But the son of one of the researchers had all the data in his base, dad's basement after he died and left it there. And a couple of NIH researchers uncovered it and last year published a study, which was fascinating. And then what they found was when they randomized these two groups, and by the way, the randomized control trial is a way to prove cause and effect. The observational data like Ansel Keys had done could not prove cause and effect. It just shows a correlation, which may have other explanations, right? Every morning mm -hmm. I wake up and the sun comes up. I have nothing to do with the sun coming up, but it is 100% correlation. Every day I wake up, the sun's up, right? Mm -hmm. so it doesn't mean it's, I'm causing the sun to wake up, uh, to rise. So, so this randomized controlled trial is a cause and effect study. And they found that the people who had the saturated fat did far better. In fact, they had far less heart attacks and deaths. Mm -hmm. And the group that had the vegetable oil, the corn oil, they lowered their LDL cholesterol significantly, but they were worse in terms of their, their heart disease risk. In fact, for every 30-point drop in LDL cholesterol, which is what everybody believes causes heart disease, there was a 22% increase in heart attacks and death. Incredible. So this study was completely contradicting everything that they believed about saturated fat and it was buried. Now there are other studies and there's 17 meta-analyses now looking at saturated fat and, and heart disease. And every single one shows there's no correlation. Uh, there was a study published in the NFL of Internal Medicine a couple years ago, 600,000 people, 19 countries, 72 studies um, reviewed from randomized trials to observational data to blood levels of fatty acids, and they found there was no correlation between saturated fat and heart disease. Uh, it was, uh, caused, there was a cause from trans fats, and there was a benefit for omega-3 fats and 
vegetable oils may not have been as helpful. There was a trend toward those being a problem. And, and the author said this contradicts all our policy. Uh, another study just published, the Pure Study, 135,000 people, 10 years, uh, I think it was five continents, 18 countries, no correlation with saturated fat. In fact, there was an inverse correlation with animal fat and protein and death and disease and heart disease and, an, and a positive correlation, meaning that it caused problems with cereal grains and carbohydrates. Uh, another study, 42 countries, same kind of study that Ansel Keys did, showed no correlation uh, with fat or saturated fat. In fact, inverse, the opposite. It showed starch and carbs actually caused heart disease, whereas fats and animal protein didn't. So I think we really have to not cherry pick the data. We have to look at all the data right. and see what's going on. And, I, and in my book, I look at all these studies. So are you suggesting that for someone who does have cholesterol issues or heart disease brewing, they really don't anymore have to worry about the egg yolk? No. In fact, in, 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 there was really no good data showing that dietary cholesterol was a problem. It just was guilt by association, right? Incredible. Yeah. yeah. It was an issue. So let's talk about a few more food items that are, you know, in, uh, in question these days, gluten, where do you come out on gluten? Yes. No. If, if no, what are the issues with it? Yeah, so I think that, that gluten's a big issue, and I think everybody's now gluten-free, and people don't even know what gluten is. They just think it's healthy or the latest fat. And uh, the, good, the bad news is that gluten-free is usually bad for you. If it's a gluten-free cake or gluten-free cookie or gluten-free pasta, it's still all starch and carbs, right? So right. It's, then it doesn't make it healthy. If an avocado is gluten-free, an egg is gluten-free, a piece of grass-fed, uh, grass-fed beef is gluten-free, those are all gluten-free. That's what you should eat. Yeah. <laughs> and the truth is, we've seen a 400% increase in celiac disease over the last 50 years. And why is that? And, and I think there's a lot of reasons for that. We, we've changed our diet dramatically. We, we've eaten much more highly processed foods, low in fiber, high in starch and sugar, full of all sorts of food additives that tend to cause leaky guts. We've seen increases in C-sections, use of antibiotics, acid-blocking drugs, um, anti-inflammatory drugs, all of which I call gut-busting drugs. Mm-hmm. And all this damages, plus environmental toxins, all these damage our gut. And then the gut breaks down, we call it leaky gut, and that leads to systemic inflammation. And gluten leaks in, and, and it's a very inflammatory protein. Mm-hmm. We have also changed our gluten. We, we, we're not eating the, the heirloom wheat that we all ate you know, 100, 200 years ago. We're eating in, industrialized, highly... Mm-hmm hybridized, not GMO, but highly hybridized wheat that um, also uh, has much more gliadin proteins and is much more inflammatory, has much higher levels of starch. On top of that, it's sprayed with glyphosate before harvest to exfoliate it so that it's easier to harvest, but it creates high levels of glyphosate, which is affecting our gut microbiome. And it also has calcium propionate, which is a preservative that has a lot of negative neurologic effects and adversely affects our gut. So there's a lot of reasons gluten's an issue. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're, if you're worried, you can uh, do a test or you can do an elimination diet. Um, if you have any chronic illness, it's the first thing I think of checking with people because um, it can lead to all sorts of problems. But I, I think it's a... It's, really, it's a no. In your book, it's a not, stay not away no if possible. Not, not, not for everybody all the time. For example, like, a, like um, there's whole kernel rye bread, which is actually pretty healthy if you don't have gluten issues. It's not Mm-hmm. A weird kind of wheat. It's a traditional rye. It has a lot of lignans in it, a lot of nutrients, mm-hmm. uh, help metabolism in many ways. Uh, so I, I, I'm not a 100% no. I just think okay. if you have any chronic disease, if you have an inflammatory disease, if you have 
obesity, if you have uh, gut issues and autoimmune disease, you know, these, these, this is really where I start to sort of look carefully at it. And I, I think we should look at what we're eating. You want to eat heirloom wheat? That's fine. You get einkorn wheat. There's einkorn That's pasta right. now. There's mm-hmm. various kinds of options. So it really depends on you. But I, I think I would, I would say it's not necessarily health food. In fact, uh, Alessio Fasano, who's the uh, top celiac and gluten guy in the world at Harvard, basically said, you know, anybody who eats gluten creates some level of leaky gut, even if they don't have a real set of symptoms right. or problems right. from it. Mm-hmm. How about dairy? Dairy is um, another big topic we cover in the book. And I think, again, you know, we've, we, we, you know, we are the only population after weaning that consumes milk. Nice. Right. 75% of the world's population is lactose intolerant. <coughs> and uh, we've hybridized the wheat. I mean, the wheat, we also hybridized the cows. So now we have mono cows that are essentially all the same. They're not, quote, the heirloom cows of yesteryear. Uh, and the casein, for example, is very different. It's A1 casein, which is very inflammatory, causes autoimmune disease, allergies, gut issues um, in so many people, uh, as opposed to A2 casein, which is more some of the traditional cows and also it's in more goat milk or sheep milk. I also talk about, you know, some of the, the data on dairy that's kind of concerning about its adverse effects on inflammation and gut health and autoimmunity and eczema and allergies and asthma. Uh, it's a, it's a huge issue. And I think, um, many, many people are intolerant of it and gluten and dairy are the two biggest culprits when it comes to inflammation and chronic disease and gut issues. So I, I'm also very careful as a doctor to make sure I, I check that, that I, Talk to people about it that I have them try an elimination diet. But, uh, you know, there are ways to sort of consume dairy if you're, if you're able to tolerate it and you're healthy, such as, um, you know, goat or sheep cheese, goat milk. Um, if you're going to have grass-fed uh, dairy, that's okay. But, again, it, just because it's grass-fed doesn't mean it's okay. They milk pregnant cows. There's a lot of hormones in milk. It can be very cancer-promoting. Um, and, and I think, you know, you can have grass-fed um, butter, which has got less, or grass-fed ghee, which is even better because there's no casein or whey in it, uh, and that can be okay for many people. So share with our listeners, what is the pagan diet? What does it really mean for the individual who's listening in? You know, yeah. What do they change starting tomorrow, and why does it work? Well, I was, I was sitting on a, a panel with a couple of friends of mine. One was Dr. Joel Kahn, who's a low-fat vegan cardiologist, and Dr. Frank Lippin, who's a more <laughs> focused on paleo eating. Mm-hmm. And they were arguing, going at it, and I was sitting in the middle. And, and there I, was you. <laughs> and I was sort of laughing, and, and then I was like, gosh, if you're paleo and you're vegan, I must be pegan. It was a total <laughs> joke, and it caught on as a meme. And I began to think about it. I went home, and I was like, well, what am I actually saying? And I realized that, you know, both camps have more in common than they have differences, right? And if you look at the common principles, the only, the only areas of difference are whether you should eat animal protein or grains and beans. Everything else they agree on. And I, I kind of went through and kind of created a way of thinking about eating foods in each category that creates the best type of, of chance for staying healthy. And the first principle is like 12 principles. The first principle is stay away from sugar. Mm-hmm. Uh, sugar and starch. Is it I, all sugar? Because that's the other question. What about yeah. honey? What about half a pound of grapes? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a good agave. <laughs> so, so it's a recreational drug. Okay, so mm. as long as you understand it as a drug, that's okay. Like you're going to have tequila, fine. You're not going to drink a bottle of tequila every day, right? Mm-hmm. In America, we consume 152 pounds of sugar. It's almost a half a pound a day per person. Mm-hmm. That's a pharmacologic dose that we've never consumed in the history of humanity. 
-hmm. right? So, so it's not that sugar is evil. Uh, it's just that the amount we eat is, is extremely harmful. And from an evolutionary perspective is never, we've never consumed that much. And that drives weight gain, insulin, chronic disease, heart disease, cancer, diabetes, dementia, um, so, so many issues. So, Anything and it's hard to get rid of, uh, Dr. Mark, it's because it's in everything. It's exactly. So when I got sick, food, yeah, that was the first thing, right? They were like, okay, exactly what you're saying. First thing, get rid of sugar because I am a sugar addict. So mm -hmm. I'm admitting yeah. it on a public podcast. I'm That's a sugar right. addict. Well, everybody is. It's like highly addictive. It's like if you look at rats, they'll if they're addicted to intravenous cocaine, they can literally sit there with a lever and pump cocaine in their blood as often as they want. They will switch to sugar every time. They'll get off the cocaine Jeez. and switch to sugar. And they'll work eight times harder to get the sugar wow. than they will to get the cocaine. That's how powerful this is. And this has been documented with very sophisticated brain imaging and MRIs and people eating, you know, sort of fake yeah. sweet tasting things and real sweet tasting things. Like, and, it, and, it, and it's really frightening when you look at the biology of it. That's what my book, 10 Day Detox, was about. But it's, it's really about this whole idea of sugar. So that's the first okay. thing. And I mean... Anything that turns to sugar. So flour is also an issue. Mm -hmm. So yeah, whole grains are fine. Whole grain flours, not so much, right? Mm -hmm. So even if it's a whole wheat bread, it raises your blood sugar more than two tablespoons of table sugar. Mm -hmm. So everybody, and everybody agrees on a low glycemic diet. There isn't anybody in the nutrition right. space that thinks we should be eating a high glycemic diet. The second is mostly plants. We, everybody agrees we should be eating a lot of fruits and vegetables. We should be eating a ton of plant foods, and that should be the majority of our diet, whether you're paleo or vegan. Um, and it should be a lot of colorful fruits and vegetables, ideally non-starchy fruits. Now, there's some controversy about that, but you know, it's five to nine servings of fruits and vegetables. It should be vegetables and fruit, and it should be like one to two servings of fruit, not unlimited fruit, right? Because mm -hmm. it turns into sugar. Uh, we should not eat things that aren't food, right? Everybody agrees on that. Uh, pesticides, antibiotics, hormones, GMO, mm -hmm. chemicals, additives, preservatives, dyes, Artificial sweeteners, ingredients that are weird, like polysorbate 60, red dye number 40, sodium sterolactylate, I mean, and who knows what else, uh, hydroxylated butotoluene. I mean, this is stuff that's in our food that we shouldn't be eating. The average American eats three pounds of, of, of food additives a year. Uh, whatever your nutrition philosophy, nobody agrees that we should be eating any of that. Uh, so a big eating, part of your diet would be don't eat out of packaged goods because yeah. unfortunately there's there's just no way to prevent eating consuming all of what you just mentioned if you're opening a package. Listen, it, yeah, there there are exceptions, right? I mean, a package, what brands do you like that um, are doing I, a good job? I like to go to ThriveMarket.com mm -hmm. where they have a whole array of products that are generally you know good for you uh, okay. that don't, don't have all these weird ingredients that are made from real food i mean a can of tomatoes has tomatoes water and salt a can of sardines has olive oil sardines and salt okay. you recognize all the ingredients they're all food it's not that hard right um and, and i always you know i joke I, I give talks at churches and i go you know it's really easy uh to think about it what should you eat well you should basically leave the food that man made and eat the food that God made. I mean, did God make a Twinkie? No. Avocado? <laughs> I like that. It's pretty easy. It's like, you don't have to worry about it. That's Who pretty made cool. Right. That's pretty cool. But, but I think a big part of what you're saying is you've got to be a label reader. Do you know how few people actually read labels? It's hard to read labels. They're very confusing. They're, you know, they're meant to be deceptive. They're meant to have all kinds of health claims on them. They're meant to say, you know, high fiber, low fat, you know, gluten-free, whatever. If it has a health claim, it's going to be bad for you. <laughs> um, 
Then the next principle is eating foods with good healthy fats, omega-3 fats. Nobody disagrees with that. Mm -hmm. Nuts and seeds, olive oil, avocados. It's hard for anybody who looks at the science to disagree with that. Although there are people out there who are thinking, you know, like Kawa Esselstyn saying we should not be eating even olive oil or avocados or nuts or seeds. I think this is really extreme, but I think most most people agree. Mm -hmm. I think saturated fat uh, from um, uh, from grass fed meat, uh, sustainably raised meat, grass fed butter, eggs, coconut oil, ghee, coconut butter. There's some controversy about that, but I address that in the book, and I, I think that's what most people should be consuming. Uh, we want to stay away from most refined foods, especially refined vegetable oils, nut and seed oils. Uh, we've never consumed these before. I think uh, I don't think we should be pouring them on everything like some people say. Uh, dairy, I think, you know, limiting dairy, avoiding it, having the right dairy, grass-fed, ideally sheep and goat is better. Meat and animal products, uh, you know, we probably should think of meat as a condiment or condiment, uh, grass-fed only, uh, sustainably raised. And I think there's a real, you know, belief that, you know, meat is causing environmental destruction. And it's true. Uh, factory farming of animals, destroying our soil, destroying our water supply, destroying our waterways um, is, is causing climate change. For sure, we shouldn't be eating any factory farmed animal foods. That's different than talking about animals that are part of an ecosystem that restores soil, sequesters carbon, protects our water from being depleted through sequestering water in healthy soils. There's a lot written about this. It's a great book called Kiss the Ground. I recommend talks about some of these issues, but you have to, even the guy who started Cafe Gratitude, which is one of the most famous vegan cafes, mm -hmm. went over and started eating sustainably raised meat because he realized he, this is part of an ecosystem that is required to restore the soils because even organic farming of vegetables can destroy the soils. Uh, low, uh, low mercury and sustainably raised or harvested fish, another principle. Avoiding gluten for the most part, eating gluten-free whole grains, but not unlimited amounts of grains. Uh, they're starch, so not two cups a day, but maybe half a cup a day. Same thing for beans, and those are basically the principles of the vegan diet. And what about organic? How important is organic in, in your book? It's very important. I think, you know, uh, you know we, we're all toxic waste dumps, and the, the, we, we are increasingly identifying these compounds affecting everything from autism and ADD to cancer, obviously, to diabetes, um, autoimmune diseases, dementia. These are, these are widespread, uh, Parkinson's, uh, widespread toxins that are in our environment, our food, and, you know, eating organic, I think, when possible is really important. Now, the Environmental Working Group, and I'm on the board, has a great a website where they talk about the dirty dozen, which is the dozen most contaminated fruits and vegetables and the clean 15, the least contaminated. So you can, you know, if you can't afford all organic, you can be selective and, and make sure you only buy organic uh, for the worst contaminated and the others you can kind of, like a banana, you know, it's covered, it's got a skin, you know, you open it up and then, you, you know, you're not going to get pesticides. But right. um, I think we have to just be smart about that. As we sign off, Dr. Mark, what is the one mandatory thing you want everyone out there to do as they rethink the food that they're going to be consuming in 2018? Uh, you know, it's, it's pretty simple. I would, just, I would just use the rule, did God make this or man made this? Is it food? And if it's an industrial food product, you know, I would put it back on the shelf. And I think, you know, there are small companies that are making great foods and there are advances happening. But 
you know, the way we can change the system, how our food is grown, how our food is processed, produced, sold, marketed, these are all things that we have control over. We don't think we have power, but we do because when you use your dollars at the grocery store or at any, any place you're going to buy food, you are making uh, an impact on what happens. Imagine if everybody in the world for a week stopped eating anything that came from fast food or was a commodity crop or was processed in any way and just ate real food. The we would collapse and we, we would. they'd have to rejigger what they're doing. We, you're absolutely right. I think one of the things we are not doing is asserting the power we have to change the food system by making the right choices at the grocery store. You're absolutely right. And I think this is part of what I'm trying to do, what Bonnie of the Food Babes is trying to do is educate everyone out there to say, go make better decisions because we mm -hmm. can, we absolutely can change how these industries are being run. You know, like stop absolutely. buying the Twinkies and they'll stop making Twinkies. That's right. Exactly. exactly. Dr. Mark, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for your time and very much looking forward to reading the book. Thank you so much, everybody. And you can go to foodthebook.com and I've got free trailers, uh, the book, and also cooking videos and bonus things you can get. It's all free. So Tell us the URL again and we'll put it in the show notes too. Foodthebook.com. Foodthebook.com. Sounds great. Thank you so much again. Thank you. And for the rest of you, keep smiling. I'll see you on the next podcast. That's a wrap. Share your love with a five-star review and get show notes at healthbootcamps.com. Connect with us on Health Bootcamps Facebook and Twitter. Also, don't forget to check out other great interviews and subscribe to the Get Healthier podcast today.